0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back for our discussion of Power on the Parsha. I want to begin by thanking all of you who are here today. Thank you for being part of this class. Thank you for showing up. If you have your camera on, thank you for leaving your camera on. If you don't have your camera on, that's cool too. Thank you for just being here and being part of this. I want to thank the amazing staff over at Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit. Again, Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit. For really allowing us to do this for so many years, and for creating the space for us, and for bringing me on board, and and for really doing so much for the education of the Jewish people in Detroit. I want to also thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website. And the app just got a new interface, so it's a new app, and a regular website. And it's filled with amazing Torah. Last night, Yesterday I was driving for a long time, and I was listening to a fascinating class. Uh, on Torah anytime, as I often am doing, and you will even hear a little bit of it. So you're going to get some secondhand Torah through Torah anytime at the end of this class if you stick around. Don't turn that dial. One final thing: this class that we give on Thursdays is offered as a podcast. It's available on Spotify and you, uh, not YouTube, Spotify and, uh, and and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and wherever you get your podcast. The name is Burnham on the Parsha. That's what you look for: Burnham on the Parsha. And we will be uploading this later today. All right, let's get down to Bidnet, because we got a lot of Bidnet to cover today. What we're going to cover today is something that bothered me, that came up during the week, and was bothering me. And then I had something else that was bothering me parenthetically. I've got lots of things, a lot of itches going around in my brain when I'm learning. So it was an itch in my brain about something that we learned in the middle of the week this week. And then an itch in my brain that had bothered me since I'm a child about this whole story with Avram and Sarah and, and the angels. And, uh, and now we're going to bring it all together and we're going to add maybe a little cherry on top for my class that I heard a Torah anytime yesterday as I was driving in my car. So let's start off with the beginning. Mm-hmm. Ah. Ah. All right, sorry. Let's get started. I need a little bit of water, that's true. All righty, so this week's parsha starts off with a very, very famous story. It's the story of the three angels who are coming to visit Avraham. And Avraham, they appear to him as men, and Avraham treats them like gold and takes good care of them. And then they end up at the end of the meal after he's fed them a real, uh, a stately meal, they say to him the following. Um, they say to him, so, the, by Yomarei Love, the, this is the book of Genesis 18.9, Perak Yodches, Pasuk Tes. By Love, the angels say to him, Sarah ishtacha where is Sarah your wife? By he She's in the tent, she's right here. By Yomer, and this angel proclaims, Shova Shuva Elecha ke'es chaya, I will come back to you, ke'es chaya. What does the word K'Eis mean? Ke'es chaya means, there's different explanations, but most people understand it to mean exactly like this time next year. As the sun is right here now, it's ex- the sun is only in the exact same spot in the horizon every single, like, like, generally once a year. So he says to her, he says, I will come back to you, at this exact moment, Vihine Sarah Bain behold, your child, your wife Sarah, who by the way at this time is 89 years old, will have a child. And Sarah hears this. She's standing in the doorway of the tent. She hears what's going on. She hears this is her first inclination that she's gonna have a child. She's eighty-nine years old, she wanted a child so badly for so many years, and now she gets this message. However, says the Torah of Avram, Avram and Sarah were old, coming in days. Sarah no longer was in a feminine way. She no longer was uh, producing a monthly cycle, which is part of the process of being, enabling a woman to, to give birth. But Sarah, and Sarah laughed inside, saying, "Now, After I have withered. Am I going to become youthful again? Am I going to be able to have a child? Am I going to have a refreshed uterus again? And my husband is so old. And Hashem says to Sara? Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Can I really give birth when I'm so old? Is it, am, am I not able to do anything? Am I, am I lacking any powers? Does God? Have, am I not able to do this? Indeed, at the, at the appointed time, I will come back to you, at the same, and, and, and there will be, a Sarah will have a child. Now here comes another incredible pasuk, and Sarah denies. She says, no, I didn't laugh. Really? You didn't laugh? Because she was afraid. And he says back to her, no, you, you did laugh. You did laugh. Okay, so what's going on over here? This whole story is a little bit hard to understand, right? Sarah's denial. But much more importantly, before we even get to that, right? why was Sarah denying and lying, and if she did laugh, own it, right? And and what's going on over here? Now, but that's not actually what I want to talk about first, because first I'm going to talk about something that bothered me from this week's Dafyomi. You know, I've never done the Dafyomi cycle before. Baruch Hashem, you know, I've been learning Gemara for a very, very long time. However, I never have done the, the Dafyomi cycle. <clears throat> and um, I'm doing it this time, along with so many hundreds of thousands of other Jews and the Jewish people. It means that every single day, we learn a page of the Talmud. We're all on the same page. Anyone you want right now is all, you know, we're all on the same page. It's an amazing. Thing. I can go to a class in Eretz Yisrael. If I'm, if I'm traveling... To Israel, and to stopping off in Antwerp, and before that I stop off in Paris, I can go get a class there wherever I am, because we're all on the same page. French Jews, and British Jews, and German Jews, and and, 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 and and Dutch Jews, and South African Jews, and American Jews of all stripes and flavors, and Mexican Jews, and Israeli Jews, we're all learning the same daf, we're all learning the same page. Now, the, the, the you this cycle, I feel like especially this cycle has been a tough cycle, because it started off right in the middle of the pandemic, right? And uh, it's just it's just been it, the the, the CMA shas was in middle of the pandemic. It was like January first, twenty twenty. Wait, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It was right before the pandemic. The Hashas was January first, twenty twenty, right before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit, and we were all stuck inside. And it's been a tough time. So I feel like Hashem has given us this cycle has been amazing. Like we finished the track date called Pesachim about Pesach right before Pesach. We finished Sukkah right before Sukkot. I mean, the amount of of incredible coincidences, there's almost no mention of Hanukkah in the entire Talmud. The only mention, the only real mention of Hanukkah in the Talmud is in Tractate Shabbos. And we learned that on Hanukkah last year. This week, we were learning a piece in Tractate Rosh Hashanah when it quoted a Pusuk from this week's Torah portion. This exact Pasuk that I just read to you, this verse. But then it said something about it that made me go, wait a second, that's not what I learned as a kid. So, Let's go through this. The Gemara in this week's Daf Yomi, Rosh Hashanah, Daf Yud Aleph Omid Aleph, page, folio 11a. It says the following, Bepesach Nolad Yitzchak. Everyone agrees that Yitzchak, the forefather, was born on Pesach. How do we know this? Minelon. Lamo'ed Ashuv Eilecha. Hashem says to Avram, I will come back to you Lamo'ed, at the appointed time. Now in Hebrew, the three festivals... Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot are called Mo'adim, right? Right. Mo'adim lesimcha. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew, when you see somebody, you don't say "agud yomtif. Agud yomtif is, uh, is, uh, is a Yiddish way of saying "good yomtif. Israelis would say "mo'adim lesimcha," to which the proper response is "chagim uzmanim le'sason." Right? Mo'adim lesimcha means you should have a happy, joyous moed. And we answer back, Chagim Uzmanim Leshason, festivals and times for joy. Okay, so the Gemara says that when Hashem was speaking to Avram and he was saying, I'm going to come back to you, Lamo Eid, the Gemara here on Rosh Hashanah, page 11a, assumes the Lamo Eid means Hashem is saying, I'm going to come back to you at the next holiday. Now asks the Gemara, Amos Kai? when did Hashem say this to Avram? If Hashem was in the middle of Pesach and He's saying, "By the next holiday, I'm going to come to you and you're going to have a child." The next holiday is Shavuos, and Shavuos is only fifty days away. It's impossible to give birth in fifty days, right? <speaking in Hebrew> is it possible to give birth in fifty days? <speaking> in <Hebrew> Maybe Hashem came to visit Avram on Shavuos. The And he was saying, look, the next holiday, which will be Sukkot, which will be in Tishrei, I'm going to come to you. In fact, the Gemara asked the Gemara, Is it possible to give birth in five months? A human being can't really give birth to a viable child with only five months. Answers the Gemara, Rather, it was talking about where Hashem visited Avraham on Sukkot. Chag is often the euphemism for Sukkot, just the standard Chag. And and he said, by the next holiday I'll come back to you, which would be six months later. And the Gemara says, even six months hard to have a viable child. The Gemara answers, that month was a, a leap year, and there was really seven months. So basically the answer is that Hashem is talking to Avram on Sukkis, and he's saying, I will come back to you on the next holiday, and your wife will have a child, and Hashem was talking to Avram on Sukkis. And Avram was going to have a child the next holiday, holiday which would have been Pesach, which in a regular year would be six months later, but in a leap year was seven months later. And yes, Yitzchak was born a preemie. Okay, that's so far what we learned. And again, it's so interesting that this week's Torah portion, we're reading that verse, and boom, it happens to show up randomly, in, or not randomly, not coincidentally, it shows up in this week's Daph Yomi. Now, when I'm learning this, I'm like, wait a second. I've got a problem with this. Because when I was a kid, I was always taught that when did Hashem and the angels come to Avraham? Right? Does anybody know? If you know, put it in the chat box. When did the angels come to Avraham? When did he feed them that whole feast? According to the Midrashim, and I'll read you the Midrashim in a moment, that happened on Pesach. Pesach. Of course it happened on Pesach. Pesach is the time of redemption. The greatest pain that Sarah had in her life was that she had no children, and she was redeemed on Pesach by finding out that she was going to have a child. As a matter of fact, there's a whole, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, verse about this. In, in, in Genesis 18.6, And Avram ran, to the tent to Sarah by Yomar, and he said, "Mahari shalos kemach lushi Hashem said, "I uh, sorry." Avram goes into the tent. and says, "Sarah, quickly uh, gather three sa'as of the best flour and make it into cakes." What kind of cakes were these? There's a lot of medrashim. The different cakes were the various different kinds of menachos, the various different kinds of flour offerings that were later re-brought in the base on But the barishas Raba, the medrash Raba, the medrash on this. Horatius, Rabbi 48, 12, says, Lushi vasu ugos, need and make cakes. What kind of cakes? Now, we think of cakes we think of seven-layer cake, right? But the reality is, the Torah often calls matzah ugos, matzos, kilo, chametz. The Torah says the Jewish people baked their dough ugos, matzos, cakes of bread. By the way, just to understand, in the Temple times, their matzah likely did not look like ours. And as a matter of fact, today there are still Sephardic Jews who their matzah is like um, their matzah is is like a, like a laffa, right? Now remember, the key here is that dough cannot be left for eighteen minutes to rise. If you've ever watched them making laffas in the shuk, and there are places in the shuk in Israel where you can go and they're making laffa, so you know laffa is like a big pita sort of, but it doesn't have a pocket. It's just a big big dough, and you stick the meat in there, and then you fold it up, and you eat it, the shawarma, right? The shawarma in the laffa. You can get shawarma in the pita if you are a junior kind of guy. But if you're a senior kind of guy, I'll take the laffa. They give you this entire piece of, of bread, and they throw it on the meat and the salads and the hummus and the tchina and the da-da-da and the peppers, whatever they want, and then you fold it all up, and they give it to you. Ah, ha-ha, laffa. That's amazing, right? Now, if you actually watch them making laffa in the shook and you can go right now, in Shuk Machana Yehuda in Jerusalem, there's a place where you can go in, they even let the kids come in and watch, and they take, what they do is they have a super hot oven, and they take a very, very, uh, they take a dough, and they shape it out into like, kind of like the shape of a laffa and they just stick it up onto the wall of the um, of the oven, and it sticks to the wall of the oven, and it's done in about 55 seconds, or whatever it is. Right, so you theoretically—I've watched people making fresh pita. You can make fresh pita also, like in a few minutes. There's no question about it. You can make pita and laffa in less than 18 minutes. So why don't we eat pita and laffa on Pesach? Right. So the answer is because we're concerned. We're concerned that if you have the dough so thick and you've got this thick, fluffy dough that there may be a little pocket of water and 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 and, uh, and flour that are touching each other. And they didn't get fully cooked through. And therefore, you're going to have a little bit of chametz rising inside your pita. So we say it's much better off just make it super flat. Make all those holes, right? We make the holes in the matzah to make sure like it's getting a full and very... There's no question about it. There's no leftover, uncooked flour and water inside of your matzah when you're done with your matzah. It comes out. It's crispy. It's hard. It's like a snack cracker. But in the olden times... Their matzah was much more like an ugo, like a cake—not a sweet cake, but like a cake dough, like a like a thicker cake. So Avram is telling Sarah to make uh, food for the for the uh, for the guests, and it's going to be cake dough. It's going to be ugos matzos. And the voracious Medrash Rabbah says right there explicitly, "Lushiva ugos and hada Amris prost haPesachava." That this was this happened at the beginning of Pesach. So here we have, and again, it makes total sense that Sarah would have that redemptive moment of finding out that she's going to have a child on Pesach. But here's the problem the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah that we learned in Yomi this week said that Sarah laughed. And God said to Avram, Why is Sarah laughing? You think I can't give you a child? You watch. I'll be here at the next festival, and you're going to have a kid. And the next festival was going to be Pesach, which means this conversation happened on Sukkot. Do you hear the problem, ladies and gentlemen? We got a serious problem on our hand. On one hand, the Medrash Rabbah is telling us that this whole story with Avram and the guests happened on Pesach, which makes total sense. Because that's when re- it's a time of redemption. Sarah should have a redemptive moment at that time when she finds out she's going to have a kid. On the other hand, there's a Gemara that we learned this week that said that Avram's conversation with that Avram's conversation with Uh, God, where God is saying, how come Sarah's laughing happened on Sukkot? Okay, you guys with me? Big problems on the horizon. This is a serious problem. And it bothered me this week. Let me get back to that in a second. Let me tell you something else that bothered me. My whole life. My whole life, this thing has bothered me, and there's a lot of answers to it. But it's just, it's one of those things that you can hear an answer sometimes, and you're like, "Uh, still not so comfortable with it. Okay. What happens? Hashem says to Avram, why did Sarah laugh? When she was told she's going to have a baby, why did she laugh? You think I can't give you a baby when Sarah's 90? I'm God. I can give people a baby when they're 190. Right? I can give people a baby, you know, most people say, um, you, give you give people a bracha, they should live to 100 and, uh, 120. I give more, 130. There's crazy inflation going on right now. Right? Crazy inflation going on right now. The prices of food and beverages... There's inflation in the years, too. Why don't you lift to 130? The same guy that can carry you to 120 can carry you to 130. Now, of course, that's tongue-in-cheek. There is a passage that indicates that Hashem says mankind should pretty much cap out at 120. Okay. That being, Yesterday, I was at I was at, a, um, I was at a, um, a very, very sad event. I was at a shiva for a, a man who was just a pillar of the community and the nicest guy... A really, really special person. I, I learned with him personally for many years. Um, we used to learn in his office. And he passed away at the age of 49. Healthy, fit. I mean, this guy was like, it was just it was so sad. I mean, just, just, just horrific. Um, he was a real family man. He did a lot of quiet work to support the community and, and just a really, really special guy. And if, here's a guy who didn't, he, I, I used to go out to eat with him to eat. And we used to go out sometimes to eat at Cravings over here, which is a restaurant over here. And I would get, like, the big Chazal burger, which is, like, the burger with the sauce and the caramelized onions and the half-pounder burger and the fried pastrami on top. You know what I'm saying? And he would get, like, a salad always. And it's like, you know, he he was really just a healthy, healthy guy and used to work out all the time. And he passed away tragically, suddenly. I mean, total, absolute shock. It wasn't like he was sick or anything. He just... He just passed away on, on Sunday morning, and the whole community was in shock. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I saw so many people come for the funeral, and then for the graveside, it was just, it was, the amount of people who were out there just to show their, 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 their sense of grief and, and honor was, was unbelievable. And yesterday, I went to the Shiva home, and this man, unfortunately, his, um, his wife, no, him, his, he has an aunt, or a great aunt who's 97 years old. And she came over to me, and and we we were talking already for a little while because I I met her, and and one of her great nephews introduced me, and said that you know, know, how old are you, aunt? And she said, I'm 97 years old. Behind her, she should live to 120. I gave her a blessing right away, 120. At one point, she said to me, like, you know, why did this happen? And I said said to her, I I don't know, but I, I know that you'll know in 23 years, right? Meaning it's 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 very sad i don't we don't have an answer for this kind of thing you know the that's the all kind of thing where we we literally this is where we have to exercise our faith because it's so so just tragic and horrific and so hard to understand so it's like when we get to Shemayim, we're going to be able to understand it right now we just have no way of understanding it so how did i get into that um yeah Right. Oh, so, so could God do anything? God could do anything. God can make people live to 130. God can make people live to 140. Right? So over here, Hashem says, like, why is Sarah laughing? You think I can't do this? So then I want, I want to focus on this one pasuk. Vatekachesh Sarah. And the translation over here, I mean, different translations are, have different. I've seen many different translations for the words Vatekachesh Sarah. Most of them say in Sarah denied, but this one says straight up Sarah lied. Sarah lied, saying, "I did not laugh tire for she was frightened by yomer, and he said back to her, No, lo, that's not true Ki you did laugh what's going on with this whole conversation here right How could it be that Sarah matriarch would lie? How could it be i mean just cause, just because she was afraid it's hard to understand how you could have someone lie and and, and, and Okay, so that, that's a good question. Flo wants to know who says back you did laugh. It seems like it seems like Hashem said it back. Okay, so I want to. I, I, I found today a Chassam Sofer. Okay, Chassam Sofer was a great, great uh, sage who lived in, in Pressburg, and I was actually I was I, I merited to be at his uh, at his caver. It's in Slovakia. Czechoslovakia became Czech Republic and Slovakia. And I believe his, uh, his, his burial place is in Slovakia. And he was a very, very uh, monumental figure in, in, in European Jewry. And he writes the following fascinating, fascinating explanation. Explaining, and it's going to both answer, why did Sarah lie or deny? And what's the whole back and forth with that? But it's also going to help us understand... Why the Gemara says that Hashem said this to Avram on Sukkot's time, whereas we also know that supposedly this whole story happened on Pesach time. Okay, so. You ready, guys? You ready for this amazing, amazing idea from the Chassam Sofer? Here we go. There's two kinds of laughter. There's two kinds of laughter. There's a laughter that is a laughter of joy rina. Then, in the time of Messiah, our mouths will be filled with laughter and our tongues mirth and joy. So there's a very, very joyful kind of laughter. Very, very joyful. As a matter of fact, when in last week's Torah portion, Hashem told Avram, you're going to have a child, that's exactly what Avram did. Avram laughed. And it was not considered inappropriate at all. It was considered the appropriate response. Avram laughed when he heard he was going to have a child, and it was considered appropriate. Sarah laughs, and it's considered inappropriate. The Ramban explains that there's two kinds of laughter. There's the inner laughter, as it says about Sarah, but Titzchak Sarah Bakirba, and Sarah had an inner laughter. The inner laughter is when your heart is laughing. You're laughing in in, in scorn, almost, or like in disbelief, um, which is a very, very different type of, of laughter. And then there's, this, there's the laughter which you laugh with your mouth and this, this beautiful external laughter. Our mouths will be filled with laughter. So the Ramban already explains because he's bothered why when Avram laughs, no, no big deal. When Sarah laughs, she's being taken to task for it. Says the Ramban, there's two kinds of laughters. There's a laughter of, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe you see somebody you haven't seen in so long you weren't expecting to see it. You just start laughing, right? You're so happy. But then there's a like laughter, <laughs> they don't know, they don't know, or whatever it is, right? So that's the Ramban's explanation, and the differences of the laughter's. Okay, that's step number one. So Sarah, when she laughed, it wasn't like she was laughing out loud, it was she was laughing internally, and it was a, a, a laughter of like disbelief and pushing off. That's step number one. Step number two, says the Chassam Sofer. Our Gemara tells us that Avram, Hashem reprimanded Avram, saying, "Why did Sarah laugh? That only happened on Sukkot." But we know that the angels came on Pesach. The same question I just asked you, okay? Same question that was bothering me during uh, Daf Yomi this week. Okay. Next, says something fascinating. Sarah did teshuva. Sarah at first disbelieved. Her initial response upon hearing the angels say that she was going to have a child was disbelief. And that's why she laughed, a laughter of sort of a, of a mockery. Now you can excuse her. She was, it was born out of a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. She was, 90, she was 89 years old. She had tried so hard and she had prayed so hard. And at a certain point, sometimes people become jaded, unfortunately. And then even when good news comes, it's like we're hard, it's hard for us to believe that good news is actually coming. So we sometimes push it away. Because we don't want to get hurt again and start believing that good things are going to happen, and then they don't. So, step number one, says the Sofer, is that Sarah did laugh. In denial, at first. That was her initial response. However, later she did Teshuvah. When did she do Teshuvah? Yom Kippur. A few months later. And when Yom Kippur comes, it is Mechaper. It, is, it cleanses. As a matter of fact, not only does it cleanse, the Gemara tells us that when we do Teshuvah me'ava, when we do Teshuvah out of love, it becomes, all of our veros, our previous transgressions, become mitzvos. Okay? Now, so says the Chassam Sofer, the chronology is what happens here. On Pesach, the angels come. Abram serves them a a feast, including matzah. They give the report that Sarah's going to have a child, and Sarah laughs in mockery. However, afterwards, she feels bad about it. And that's why she changes her tune, and it becomes, whatever she previously had done in a bad way, which was that she had laughed at it in a bad way, turns into a good way which is the right kind of laughter. Now says the chasam's over, that's why God waited six months to talk to Avram about his wife's transgression. He didn't talk to Avram about his wife's transgression right away, because she was still in the guilty. Hashem waited until the action was switched over Yom Kippur when Sarah did tshuva, and Sarah turned around her previous misdeed and her previous scornful laughter, And now, because she had a real teshuva, she felt bad. How did I doubt God for a second? And on Yom Kippur, she was sitting there, God, how did I doubt you? I can't believe it. Of course I believe you can do anything. And I was jaded. I'm sorry. I will never, ever doubt you again. And now, after that, when she does it, it becomes now a mitzvah. And that's why Hashem comes to Avram, and He says to her, finally now, Hashem says to Avram, you know, I want to tell you, there was a little bit of a story there with your wife. You know, she kinda of messed up at first. Okay? He didn't want to talk bad about her, so Hashem only brought it up after it had already become a tchus. But then when uh when Sarah denied it, she was like, she was saying, I, I didn't deny I, I didn't I didn't laugh, I didn't scornfully laugh at it. Because she knew that she already did repentance and by now it was already a good thing. So she's trying to get rid of anything that happened in the past. Like she was just saying, I didn't scorn, which is true by now, right? By now that her scorn had turned into the right kind of laughter. Are you guys with me? Meaning there's bad kind of laughter, which is scorn. We'll call it scorn. And there's good kind of laughter of appreciation. Because she went through the process of Yom Kippur, she no longer had a scornful laughter at it. So she says back to Avram, she says, I didn't, I never, I, I didn't scorn. Because if you actually look back at her record, meaning the idea that Hashem, after you do Teshuvah on Yom Kippur, Hashem takes your logbook, and he switches it out. So she says, no, I, I don't have scorn in my logbook. To which, Avram says to her, again, it's, it's interesting, because someone here asked, I don't remember who asked, who said, no, you laughed? So there's different ways of learning it. There's some people who say, Hashem said, no, you laughed. And some people say, Avram said, no, you laughed. The Chasam Sover clearly says, the over Sover clearly says, it was Avram who said, you laughed. And Avram is saying to her, you don't have to deny it. Don't be embarrassed about your previous mistakes. Like, yes, you, you did scorn. And because you scorned and then you did teshuva, you now have a better standing than you ever had altogether. But don't be embarrassed that you made mistakes. We all make those mistakes. It's what makes us human. You did the process of rectification. You're a better person for it now. Don't try to erase the fact that you had a mistake in your life. That mistake is now your betterment. So that answers all the questions. Let's go through all the questions. Did the story happen on Sukkot or on Pesach? The story clearly happened on Pesach. Hashem's conversation with Avram, asking him about why Sarah left, that happened on Sukkot, and that's why in that conversation Hashem says, "I'll be here at the next holiday, which will be Sukkos, Sorry, which will be Pesach, and you're going to have a child. Why did Hashem wait until Sukkot to come? Because that was after Yom Kippur and after Sarah did teshuvah. Why did Sarah deny? She's saying, look, I don't have it in my logbook anymore. To which Avram is saying, no, 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 no. I know that you've changed your bad to good, but don't discount, don't deny that you ever made a mistake because it's through your mistake and fixing it that you became better off, so don't deny that. Appreciate, you did scorn, but you went through the process of reckoning with it and regretting it, and now you appreciate God so much more, and now you're closer to God, so don't deny it. That is what the Chazam Sofer says. Now I want to do two different um, I want to do two different little add-ons to that. Idea number one. If all it is is Hashem was waiting for the time when Sarah does Teshuvah, why did Hashem come on Sukkot? Why didn't Hashem come on Yom Kippur? As soon as Sarah repented, and did the full repentance, Hashem should have come and had that conversation. Why did He come on Sukkot? and the answer to that is because we know and we've taught before in this series I believe this past year when we taught about Yom Kippur and Sukkot we said Yom Kippur is Teshuvah me and Sukkot is Teshuvah me'ava. Yom Kippur is when we repent out of fear I'm afraid of getting punishment Mi miamus Mi who's going to live and who's going to die Sukkot is when we feel God's embrace and we come back to God out of love and that's when this, the sins that we did don't turn from, from on purpose sins to mistakes, but rather sin change from on purpose sins to mitzvos. The Gemara says, if you do teshuva because you're afraid of getting punished, then Hashem will take whatever mistakes you made, whatever no, sorry, whatever sins you made. You you on purpose you did things wrong. Hashem will say, okay, we'll, we'll treat it as if it was by mistake. But if you do teshuva out of love for God, then God says, we'll take whatever you did on purpose wrong and we'll turn it into a mitzvah. So Hashem only comes on sukkus. She did Teshuvah on Rosh Hashanah. That was the first step. But the second step is Sukkot. And that's why Hashem says at this point it's a a crowning glory. You made a mistake, Sarah. You you were 89 years old and you didn't believe God at first. You you did not. Even the greats make mistakes on on her level. But it's okay, because you did Teshuvah now. And you've made that into a beautiful thing. And maybe that's also why it says, we can say that she said back to Avram, no... I didn't do it, but said I didn't laugh because she was afraid. She thought I only did Teshuvah out of fear, in which case you could just wipe it clean, but it doesn't become a mitzvah. And Avram says back to her, no, no, no you laughed, it's okay. You've done Teshuvah out of full love of God, in which case your mistakes are now considered benefits. Don't feel like you're, you did Teshuvah out of fear, in which case your mistakes are still, mis- you're, 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 you're advertent, you're on purpose." Averos sins become mistakes. No, your sins have become incredible mitzvos. The point we would make out of all of this is to recognize the incredibleness of being okay with your your past. All of us I can't speak for all of you, but I know all of me and probably some of you have made some mistakes in life, and probably some very big mistakes. And sometimes we can spend our lives beating ourselves up about those mistakes. right? We can spend our entire lives beating ourselves up over those mistakes, but where is it going to get us? We have to recognize that if we're able to take those mistakes, if we're able to recognize like, wow, I, I can't believe I fell to this level, but let me use this now. Let me use my own shock at myself. Let me use my own disappointment. Let me use my regret as tools and vehicles to turn it all around and do something good, if you can do that, then it literally it literally becomes a mitzvah. And like, don't deny that you and your life made mistakes. It's okay. The Gemara says, lamod." <laughs> the Gemara in tractate Tzukas is the place that, that that people, repenters, stand. Even the greatest sadikim can't stand. The place that you get to in life when you've made terrible mistakes and you've fallen so far, but you use that energy to bounce off at what we call Yuridah Latzara Chalia. You take your big mistakes and that whole energy, you fell, 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 but you use that as the catalyst to then push you back up as you bounce up higher and higher and higher. You can get higher than you ever would have gotten if you didn't make any mistakes in the first place. Sarah made a mistake. She denied. And that's what the Ramban explains. Nachmanides explains the difference between Avram's laughter and Sarah's laughter was that Avram was laughing. He was so joyous that it was going to happen. And Sarah was laughing in denial. like Not going to happen. Here we go. Another rabbi here telling me, Oh, don't worry. It's going to be good. No, it's not going to be good. I've heard too many. I've been jaded and burned by too many rabbis giving me blessings, telling me it's going to all be okay. It's not going to be okay. I'm 89 years old, I haven't had a child yet. It's not going to be okay. She's laughing, she's denying. But then later on, she comes to recognize that this was true. And she's really, really upset with herself. How did I deny? How did I allow myself to become jaded to the point where I was not ready to accept any positive news because I was so sure that all news would be negative because that's what it's been for so long for right now. And she does a full, full repentance And then when she says, I'm striking it from the logbook. I don't want it in my logbook. I don't want anyone to ever know that I laughed. Avram says, no, 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 it's okay. Leave it in the book. Let people learn from you. Let you yourself recognize how great you've become through the process of going from a woman who scorns to a woman who believes. Let that inspiration of yourself, of looking at where you came from and where you are right now, let that be part of the process. Of pushing you forward for the rest of your life. Don't strike it from the record. She says, strike it from the record. He says, no, no, no. Don't strike it from the record. It's there. It's beautiful. You made a sin, but you've fixed it. And you look so much more beautiful now for the process. So that is this story. Now, I did tell you, and I kind of put a little uh, tidbit out there, That I was going to get you excited. I was going to tell you a little bit about what I learned on Torah Anytime yesterday. Yesterday on Torah Anytime, I was listening to a class by Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, one of the great teachers of this generation, who um, we've actually had the honor of having him out here at Partners a couple times. I remember one time we had him and Rev. Shalom Kamenetsky, who was one of the Rosh Hashivas in Philadelphia. We had them both. Remember Yai Jacobson and Rav Shalom Kamenetsky. In, in, we, we brought them out for a Shabbaton at a hotel. And they tell me that I, sh- as the partner's rabbi, <laughs> I should go up on a, on a, on a dais with them. We're going to do a, a Q&A for the rabbis. I can tell you, I never felt more small in my life. On one hand... I got Y.Y. Jacobson to my my right, or whatever you know. I, I don't remember the exact order of how we were sitting. Maybe I, was, I hope I was sitting off to the side, like almost like pushing myself off the stage. But I have on the same stage with me the same like dais, the same table, the same panel. I Y.Y. Jacobson and of Shalom Kamenetsky, who's just like one of the great great Russian yeshivas of America today. Who's father of Shmuel Kamenetsky, he should live and be well, is is one of the greatest Jews alive today in America. So anyway. So Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, I was listening to his class on Torah Anytime yesterday while I was driving yesterday. I had a long drive. And one of the cool things about the new Torah Anytime app, by the way, is that you can speed up in-app the speeches. So there's a, uh, there's a place on the app where you can just like click it and you can go two times speed, one and a half times speed. For me, I, I, I like to listen to things faster. I actually recommend if anybody ever listens to my classes on Torah Anytime, please listen to it faster. Listen to it at 1.5 speed, 1.25 speed. You'll get more information in less time, and I'll sound more intelligent. But that's not really what it's about. It's not, I don't need to sound more intelligent. Not that. <laughs> just that I think it, it goes, flows better when you listen to it faster, in my opinion. Although some people say, I need to listen to it slowly and chew it over. Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson often speaks for two hours straight. He's an amazing speaker. So if he's going to go for two hours straight, I've got to listen to it in double time. I want to hear the whole class, and I don't have two hours usually. So, he was talking about another interesting story that happens in this week's Torah portion. It's when Lot is running away and his wife turns around and turns into a pillar of salt. Okay? <coughs> Let's see the verses inside. Right? So, what happens? There are three angels that come to Avraham's house to eat. One of them, his job is to heal Avraham. The next one's job is to let Sarah know that she's going to have a child. Levaser es Sarah, to let Sarah know she's going to have a child. And the third one's job is to destroy Sodom. Now, why does the one who's destroying Sodom have to come to Avram's house first? Right? Let him just go straight to Sodom. Before you go to destroy Sodom, you've got to see what the opposite of Sodom is, right? Meaning, before an angel, even an angel, you're going to go destroy Sodom. Understand what you're protecting by destroying Sodom. Sodom was the antithesis of kindness. Sodom had laws that if you actually showed kindness to another person, you would be killed, right? And indeed, the famous story of the girl who saw a person dying of hunger in the street and gave him some food, and they took her, and they and they stripped off her clothing, they covered her in honey, and they threw up on top of a roof where there was a lot of bees, and the bees stung her to death as she's thrashing around, and the cries went up to God, and Hashem said, enough enough with these people of Sodom. Right? So the people of Sodom were anti-chesed, they were the anti-kindness people. Before the angel goes to destroy Sodom, let him just go see first. You're destroying Sodom so you can preserve, so that that there could be an Avraham, so there could be a pillar of kindness in the world. They go to Sodom, it's a whole story with Lot, and he ends up, they're saving Lot. And as they're leaving the city, they say to Lot, the angels that are saving Lot, they say, whatever you do, do not turn around, right? Whatever you do, don't turn around. Like, you're not being saved on your own merit. You're being saved on the merit of, of, of your uncle, Avram. Don't turn around. Don't look at what's happening behind you. Okay, so that's what goes on. Um, okay, so they, they say, do not turn around. We're going to destroy the city. And um, the, 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 the sun is coming up. And, and they're saying, let's go. we got to get out of here. They go out. And they say, "Just don't turn around." OK. Now what happens? Ba me'lach. His wife turns around, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Now fascinatingly, I mean this this whole thing. my mother, when she went to visit Israel as a child, not as a child, as a teenager, I'm sorry she actually, her seminary, I think they took her to like this place. In the desert, near like uh, near Sodom and Gomorrah, near where that's supposed to be, which is like in southern Israel, and there's a place that you can go that you can see. Kind of looks like there's a. It looks like there's like a figure of a form of a woman made out of. Uh, my mom is on there. We go right, You remember when you were a kid? You, I remember you showed us a picture in your album from uh, when you went in Israel, and there was this place that supposedly that's supposed to be the wife of Lot. It's like a like a pillar of salty dirt that that looks like kind of like the figure of a woman. Whether it's her or not, I don't know. Fascinatingly, there's actually a commentary called the bukhar Ashar who says that she didn't really turn into a pillar of salt. What happened was, she was just walking slowly because she didn't want to leave. She had a good life in Sodom. She liked her life. She had a very big house. She had a beautiful home. She had all that stuff. She started walking slowly. She started falling back behind the angels. And then eventually, the, the, the pillar, the cloud of the, the smoke and the salt, and, the, and, and, and that God was raining down, right? God was raining down. Gafris vamelech sreifakal tza salt and sulfur and burning down the whole place and the the cloud of, of, of salt and sulfur just enveloped her and she got covered in salt and therefore she's described as a pillar of salt she didn't really turn miraculously into a pillar of salt, however most opinions definitely believe that she miraculously turned into a pillar of salt now What's the deal with the salt? Why did she turn into a pillar of salt? With many opinions, of course, people say that she would, when, whenever her husband would bring over guests, she wouldn't give them salt to, to spite them. Uh, according to other opinions, she alerted everybody that her husband was inviting over guests by going to her neighbor saying, does anybody have salt? My husband invited guests and I didn't have enough salt. So whatever it was. There's another opinion, though. And this is the opinion that I heard from Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson yesterday. There is a Gemara, Tractate brachos, that says, Taner on the rabbis taught, Shlosha, Ruban Kasha, Umiutan, There are three things that too much of them is bad, but a little bit of them is good. and these are they: saar, which is like leaven. If you have, you know, people today, it's very, very popular. All the hipsters are making sourdough bread, right? So you've got to make your own starter, and it's a whole... I mean, speak to anybody who makes sourdough, and people... today sourdough is hot, okay? Today's sourdough is really, really hot. So if you speak to people who make sourdough, they have to, you have to make this actual sourdough, and then you put a little bit of it in your bread. But you can't put too much in it in your bread. If you put too much sourdough in your bread, it becomes unedible, okay? So that's one thing, that a little bit of it is good, too much of it is not good. Melach, which is salt right? A little bit of salt is good. If you have no salt in your food, it tastes like nothing. A little bit of salt is good. Too much salt, of course, the food tastes like nothing, just salt. Visarvonus and sarvanos is like when you, when you say, no, no, uh, like refusal to take on a position of authority. When someone comes to you and says, oh, we want to honor you to be the honoree at the dinner. So you, you say, no, 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 no. Like a little bit of it. If you just say, oh, I was kind of waiting for you to ask me. I knew that I deserved it. I was waiting for you to ask me. That's a little bit, a little bit arrogant. If you too much, no, I'm not worthy. I, you couldn't possibly be asking me, right? Would you be? And you're like, kind of like, and you really know that they're going to ask you all the way through, but you just keep saying no. So they keep praising you back and saying, no, you're really worthy. You're really amazing. That's also not appropriate. So it's a little bit appropriate to say, no, someone asked you to be the Chazen, right? No, 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 it's okay. They say, okay, fine, please come be the chazen. Okay, you go up and be the chazen. But if you make an overshow of it, oh, too much refusal is, is also like not okay. It's salty. It's too much. So those are the three things. So again, salt, leaven, uh, sourdough, leaven, and, and refusal. A little bit of it is good. Too much of it is not good. Says Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, salt represents sort of like regret. Right? When I'm when I'm regretful of certain things in my life, I'm salty about them. It's good to have a little bit of regret in life. It's good. Without regret, life is flavorless. If you're just going through life, la di da, like life 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 is amazing. There's no mistakes on your part. Nothing you gotta fix, nothing you gotta get better at. Life is just lame. It's good to have. It gives life flavor. When you when you regret things, you, you made mistakes. You're still trying to work on getting yourself back to where you're supposed to be. That's a healthy thing. That's a good thing. However, some people wallow in their regrets. And it becomes too much, and their entire life is salt. They spend their entire time obsessing over mistakes that they made, and they can't get beyond that. The angels are saying to Lot and his wife and his daughters, look, we're taking you out. You guys made mistakes. Don't look back. Don't spend your life obsessing over, how could I be so stupid, I can't believe it. Don't be that person, because then you spend your whole life like that. You made mistakes. Guess what? So did everybody else on this planet. The key is get up, brush yourself off, move on. Don't get bogged down in the past. His wife keeps turning around. She can't leave it behind. I can't believe it. I lost two of my... There's two of, his, two of her daughters, right? Meaning two of, two, the, she had two daughters who were unmarried. They come out with her. But she had two daughters who were married that got left behind in stone. It's got to be very, very painful. But at a certain point, they say, don't look back. You can't spend your life in agony over mistakes you made a long time ago. Pick up, move forward. And that's why she turns into a pillar of salt, because we all know people. We all know people who spend their entire life just like wallowing in regret and self-pity. I told you guys, I'm sure I've told you this story before, because it was such a powerful story for me to see in my life. One of the most sad things I ever saw in my entire life. My wife and I were flying back from Florida to New York. This is when we lived in New York. And we get on the plane, and sitting next to us on the, on the plane is some guy. So like, my wife is sitting in the, in the, by the window. I'm in the middle. This guy's in the aisle. This guy's ordering drink after drink after drink, and he tells us he's he's dying. He's basically dying of cancer. He's got stage four cancer. He's dying, and um, he told us about his life. Let's live, let's put it this way: uh, to say mildly, he lived a life of uh, behavior that his mom. I mean, actually, I don't know. I don't know what his mom wanted. I have no idea. Um, I, I, I don't know what his mom. Maybe his mom was the same kind of person as him, and that's why he ended up like that. But. He was living a life that my mom would definitely not be proud of. Uh, his whole life, like, around industries and entertainment, that just not, 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 not good stuff. So he's on the plane with us, and he's dying, and he's getting progressively drunk throughout the flight. I mean, he's just ordering drink after drink after drink. And he keeps repeating these words, No regrets. No regrets! No regrets. I lived my life my way. No regrets. Now, again, by, by about the 250th time that he said the words, No regrets... I started thinking, maybe he does have some regrets. Despite his many protestations, to the contrary, perhaps he has some regrets. This is a man overcome, overwhelmed with the pain of what did I do? What did I become? What do I leave behind? You can't live in that space. The angels tell, we all made terrible mistakes in our lives. Terrible mistakes. But you can't live there don't look back everything behind you it, it was destruction it was terrible you got to move on if you keep looking back you turn into a pillar of salt your whole life again regret a little bit of regret is good because if you have no regret in your life then you're just you're just either denying reality or you have nothing to fight for nothing to work for so it's good to have a little bit of regret because we're not perfect so we should regret it, where we're not perfect and we should try to work on it that's great Remember, three things, a little bit of it is good, too much of it is bad. And one of them is salt, which is re- the regret. But she can't let it go, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Now, and that's exactly what was going on over here with Sarah and Avram on a, on a lower scale. Sarah is trying to say, that, that has never happened to me. Just strike it from the record. Because I, I, I did scorn at one point, but I've, I've done tshuva, so it's totally not part of my life. To which Avram says, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay that you made that mistake, because since through that mistake you did Teshuvah, the fact that you laughed and you scorned, but then you did Teshuvah, you're a better person for it now. Don't strike that from the record. Don't live in regret for that. Appreciate where it took you and the journey it made you take. So many times we make grave mistakes in our lives. But Baruch Hashem, if we're able to move forward from them, that's the greatest joy in our life. Now we have a few more minutes, so I just want to run through a couple of ideas that I just think are amazing ideas to talk about. There were three angels that came to Avram's house. One of them, his job was to heal Avram and to save Lot. So his job, he was the saving angel. He's going to heal Avram, he's going to save Lot. The next angel was the destructive angel. His job was to destroy Sodom, but he had to come to Avram's house first and see it to understand what you're saving in order to destroy But then there was a third angel. The third angel only came to Avram's house, did not go on to stone. Only two angels went to stone. Three angels came to Avram's house. That was the angel whose job was as the Torah tells us. His job was to come tell Sarah. Why Sarah? Because Avram already knew. Avram already knew he was going to have a child. How do we know this? Because in last week's Torah portion, Hashem told Avram you're going to have a child. That's when Avram laughed. Remember we said Avram laughed, Sarah laughed. Avram laughed of joy. Sarah laughed of scorn. So Avram already knew. But yet, still, a while later, another angel has to come and let Sarah know. Which means that Avram never told Sarah. Because it was a prophecy specifically for Avram. But can you imagine the strength that it must have taken Avram? He knows they're going to have a child. He's been married to this woman for decades. And they've tried everything and they wanted so badly to have a child. And then Hashem comes and says, listen, Avram, I've got a special prophecy for you. You're going to have a child. And he's overjoyed. But it's a prophecy for Avram. It's not a prophecy for Sarah. Sarah's going to find out a different way. It's not meant to be her time yet. Avram goes back home that night. And he's like, hi, Sarah, how you doing? Great, what's going on? What would you make for dinner today? They're sitting there, they're talking about, like, the lentil harvest. And he knows that she's going to have a child. Could you imagine what it meant? The fortitude... Sometimes we feel that a husband and wife, we need to just share everything automatically. And the Chabad Chaim talks about this, how often we end up sharing negative information about people to our spouses, because we figure, my wife is just like me. She thinks my husband is just like me. But no, like there's, there's something that's a story for you, there's something that's a story for her. And it's really not your business when it's her story and what she had with her friends, whatever. And it's not your story, it's not your story what happened to her, and it's not her story what happened to you. If it's a negative thing, you got to hold it in. Avram, I mean, it's even harder to hold back. It's, for Avram, I'm sure, it would have be been much easier to hold back Lush and Hara. Of course, Avram wouldn't say Lush and Hara about anybody. But to hold back from Sarah, knowing they're going to have a child, and every day they're talking about, you know, whatever they're talking about at the dinner table, the breakfast table, he never slips up once and lets Sarah know, we're going to have a kid! It's amazing! Hashem told me! And then later, she's, she has her own angel comes to tell her. Hashem told Avram, an angel comes to tell Sarah, But that that, that amazing fortitude and that idea that we have to understand that sometimes a husband and wife, we don't share everything. No, we don't share everything. That's idea number one. Idea number two, Pesach is a time of redemption. For Sarah, the redemption was finding out she was going to have a child. Avram already knew that. What was the redemption for Avram? So two things. First of all, the ultimate act of kindness is the one that Avram carries out right now when he's in pain and suffering from his circumcision. And yet he runs to serve these angels. So that's example number one of, I mean, Avram. His whole life was helping take care of others, but this was the pinnacle. The pinnacle of taking care of others was even when you're post surgery and you're in such pain, you're running after, you know, uh, uh, you're running after people to serve them. You think they're people; they're angels. So that's the pinnacle. So that's an example of Avram's potential being actualized in its realest form. So many times we have potential for greatness, we don't even know about it ourselves. But when it gets actualized, it becomes part I'm like, I didn't know I'm that kind of guy. I didn't know I'm the kind of guy that even three days post-surgery, I will run after guests and run to serve them everything. I know that I like to be a nice guy, but I didn't know that I had that power in me. Now I can be even more kind. Of, like, I know it's me. So that was his redemption, number one, is the redemption of seeing his potential coming out. And second, second of all, it was that he, um, he went to bat. His name was Avram. God changed his name from Avram to Avraham. Avram meant the father of Aram, which was his birthplace. Avraham meant the father of many nations. And this that day on Pesach is the same day that, that he served the angels. After the angels left, Hashem told him, I'm going to tell Avram what I'm about to do. I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Swayim. And then the, the, the cities of and Soar. I'm going to tell Avram I'm going to destroy these five cities. And Avram is sitting there battling with Hashem. We know the famous verses of where Hashem Avram is advocating on behalf of these terrible people. Maybe there's 50 righteous people, maybe there's 40 maybe there's 30, maybe there's 20, maybe there's 10 again this is another example of Avram actualizing taking all the potential he had both to do acts of kindness but also to do acts of advocacy for bad people and we see Avram doing that, that's his redemption, when you see the potential that you have coming out and being actualized that is such a redemptive moment because now you know it's yours And you can use it. It's like you've redeemed a locked up energy inside of you that you didn't even really know you had. So it's a redemptive day for Sarah finding out she's going to have a child. It's a redemptive day for Avram finding out who he is and what he's all about. And with that, we conclude our ideas on this week's Torah portion. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.